it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments. Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks for being with us all week long. A lot to report today, a lot to follow. Wars back uh, in the in Gaza, so we'll discuss that. Uh, we also know that uh, Congressman Goldman and Congressman Garcia will hold a press conference today for the expulsion of Congressman Santos, who I just spoke to on Fox and Friends with an exclusive interview, and he is my congressman, and it looks like because of his 23 ethics violations, and uh, with his, I should say not ethics violations, I should say what they are, and that is, they are 27 counts of wire fraud, three counts of money laundering, 23 criminal charges, and then a separate scathing ethics report, They, they might indeed make him the sixth congressperson to ever be kicked out. Two of them were Confederates, and I don't think they wanted to go back in line. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. FBI agents were directly flagging content to Twitter saying this appears to violate your terms of service. What about this? What about that? Same thing with DHS staff. And then, of course, DHS created... Uh, the Election uh, Integrity Partnership. That is Matt Taibbi. Just a little of the very important uh, uh, hearing yesterday, along with Michael Schellenberger. They were absolutely heroic in the exposure of the Twitter files and the Dems assaulted on free speech as they testified in front of a helpless, flailing Democratic Party on Thursday. The person who made the this exposure possible, Elon Musk, now seems to be a target of the incensed left. Number two. When these pauses are over... They intend to go back at it. And as they make that decision, they'll continue to find support from the United States in terms of tools and capabilities, the weapon systems that they need. Going back at it, Hamas breaches hostage deal, and now the IDF blitz is back and eyes on the elimination of thousands of Hamas fighters unearthing miles of terror tunnels while warned to avoid civilians by us. Number one. You have the freedom to create a homeless encampment under a freeway and even light it on fire. There's one thing. (laughs) In closing, that we have in common is neither of us will be the nominee for our party in 2024. Well, that's good. Kept on saying you're trailing Donald Trump. You're trailing Donald Trump. It was the great red state, blue state debate. Newsom versus DeSantis. We analyzed the governor's performance, both of them, their dances with the facts and who emerged stronger. And bottom of the hour, yeah, we'll expand on the war with uh, Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg. But let's talk about uh, DeSantis and Newsom. Just looking overall. Definitely worthy of our time. Two guys arguing. I think Governor DeSantis should take that stance to the debate in a week on another network. Uh, The bottom line is Governor DeSantis is not vulnerable on the way he handled COVID. The way he handles taxes, zero taxes, state taxes in Florida. The way he handles illegal immigrants. It's not a problem to me that he flew illegal immigrants to Martha's Vineyard. It's a beautiful area. They're in our country. We got them off the border. And it let everybody know your ridiculous policies are now at your doorstep. Gavin Newsom thought it made him look bad and use people. I don't, I don't think it made him look bad at all. He took hits for being mean, anti-LGBTQ, 
uh, losing to Trump and the six-week abortion. Newsom, very vulnerable in the San Francisco model, which is a disaster, where he was mayor. He brought that to the state. The whole state is crashing. They got high taxes, huge homeless situation, huge hypocrisy for him with the French Laundry and his kids in private school while they were telling everybody else shut down the restaurants and shut down the schools. Here's a little of the exchange. Cut one. So I was talking to a fella who had made the move from California uh, to Florida, and he was telling me that Florida is much better governed, uh, safer, better budget, uh, lower taxes, all this stuff. And he was really happy with the quality of life. And then he paused and he said, oh, by the way, I'm Gavin Newsom's father-in-law. So we do count Gavin's in-laws as some of the people that have fled California. I can handle it. I'm used to bully. You're nothing but a bully. You're bully. I understand that. (laughs) intimidating and humiliating people that, you know, California does have freedoms uh, that some people don't uh, that other states don't. You have the freedom to defecate in public in California. You have the freedom to pitch a tent on Sunset Boulevard. You have the freedom to create a homeless encampment under a freeway and even light it on fire. There's one thing in closing that we have in common is neither of us will be the nominee for our party in 2024. We have to get real here. We have to understand that, that Biden is not a job. He has no business running for president. And, you know, Gavin Newsom agrees with that. He won't say that. But that's why he's running his shadow campaign. Well, I'll take, I'll, I will take Joe Biden at 100 versus Ron DeSantis any day of the week at any age. Yeah, I, I agree. He would. <laughs> I wouldn't. Would you? So to go up and I know he's not going to say Joe Biden. Oh, yeah, I, I'm with him. He forgets everything. He doesn't look me in the eye. He nods off while I speak. I knew he'd never say that. But Governor DeSantis called him out and said what Senator Fetterman said. You're running for president. You're running for president. Just admit you're running for president. At least I admit I'm running for president. Governor DeSantis does not answer all the taunts about losing in his home state to Donald Trump, which he is. Losing uh, in New Hampshire to Nikki Haley, which he is. But it's so early. Not one primary, not one caucus. Trump doing great. He's going up. You can't say he can't beat Biden. He's now up three, four points uh, over the last four or five polls. Everything from CNN to New York Times to Fox Poll. It's the same thing. Nikki Haley wins by double digits. Here's more. Cut to. It's also important to respect parental rights to know what curriculum is being used in the classroom, and everything should be age appropriate. I actually have something that I brought that some parents have objected to. So this is a book that's in some of the schools in California, Florida. This is not consistent with our standards called Gender Queer. I, it's, some of it's blacked out. You would not probably be able to put this on air. This is pornography. This is a ginned up, made up issue to divide this country. You talk about dividing this country. This is part of the culture war, the weaponization of grievance. This is part okay. using education. Well, We're focusing on math, science. We're focusing on reimagining our schools. We're going to get to education He's criminalizing next. teachers so, and criminalizing librarians. Check out the wrong book. More kids locked out of school for a longer period of time in California than anywhere else in the country. It was the working class kids. It was the middle income kids. His kids were in private school. They were in class. We have one of the best records under COVID, during COVID. And again, you didn't answer to the fact you had more learning loss. Ron DeSantis had more learning loss during COVID. Fourth grade reading, fourth grade math, eighth grade reading, eighth grade math. We outperformed you. Whatever it is. Those kids were in school. The teachers in Florida, the teachers, whether they were engaged or not, and whatever the grade point average was, you would have knocked it off five more points, and who knows how many kids would have zoned out forever because they were home, and how many uh, negative situations or people not affording daycare happened. Gavin Newsom just poured sand in the skate parks, 
shut every restaurant down. The first thing he did is open up for the movie studios. We covered it all. And I have friends out there. I went out to do a special on Jim Gray for his book that talked about his great career. And they said, you got to fly out to Los Angeles. All right. Been out there in a while. Used to live out there. So I fly out. Oh, wait a second. Nothing is open. What? Okay. Hotel. Restaurants not open. Really? So I just said, okay, I know the area. Hop in a car. Started driving around. Nothing was open. I found one place open because I saw some heads in activity, but the front door was locked. I ended up eating out in the patio, and I saw the great Kid Hoover, a former Fox anchor, had a chance to talk to her. And how did I know there? She, how did I know it was, how did I uh, stumble onto her? It was the only restaurant. So if you were hungry for breakfast, that was it. Meanwhile, Florida is wide open. I, have a, I was able to go out to Florida. Meanwhile, New York was even more open. Long Island was more open than New York City. So Gavin Newsom shut everything down. So to me, that's a non-starter. How can you possibly compare the way the two handled COVID? They tried on 60 Minutes to say Governor DeSantis is only handing out the vaccine to people that voted for him. That dog didn't hunt. So here's what Trump tweeted out after, or put on Truth Social. Ron DeSanctimonious is acting more like a thirsty, third-rate, OnlyFans wannabe model that an actual presidential candidate, instead of actually campaigning and trying to turn around his dismal poll numbers, DeSantis is, is now so desperate for attention that he's debating a grade-A loser like Gavin Newsom. At the debate, Ron will flail his arms and bobble his head wildly, looking more like a San Francisco crackhead than governor of Florida. This isn't a prediction. It's a spoiler. Hopefully for Ron, it's a seated debate, so we won't have to mash his foot into the high uh, heels to look taller. But if not, he'll definitely be on a 12-inch step stool so he can peek right above the podium. He's 5'11". I, I don't know, understand why people are talking about, why the president talks about his height. I really don't, I don't get it. Uh, so we'll talk about that. Let me see. Should I play another cut for you? Yeah, how about this? This is Gavin Newsom and DeSantis and talking about the things they have in common, perhaps. Cut for it. I'm here uh, to tell the truth about the Biden-Harris record and also compare and contrast Ron DeSantis's record and the Republican Party's record as a point of contrast that's as different as daylight and darkness. You want to bring us back to a pre-1960s world, America in reverse. Uh, you want to roll back hard-earned national rights on voting rights, on civil rights, on LGBTQ rights, on women's rights, not just access to abortion, but also access to contraception. You want to weaponize grievance. You are focusing on false separateness. You in particular, Ron, are on a banning binge, a cultural purge, intimidating and humiliating people you disagree with. You and President Trump are really trying to light democracy on fire. So what he's talking about, not a book ban, uh, age-appropriate books. Yeah, that's true. Uh, we talk about abortion. Yeah, he said six weeks, and Gavin Newsom says as late as you want. It's true. LGBTQ rights? Nope. Nothing to do with that. It's in kids should not be hearing about talking about heterosexuality, homosexuality. He doesn't believe that belongs in schools. You re- you do? You want your first grade to learn that? That doesn't mean you're anti-LGBTQ. Ron DeSantis should go out and say something like that. Like, listen, you, whatever you do, you do. But if you're a teacher, this is the curriculum in which I want you on. The other thing they disagree on is Gavin Newsom says it shows great compassion to allow teenagers to come to his state to start gender transformation, 
from man to woman to women to man. He thinks that should be fine without telling your parents. He said, where's your heart? You're, you're being mean or whatever. He said, no, he's not. You really don't think parents should know about this? You think in 11th grade you can make a decision like that? If it's such a great decision, why aren't you telling your parents? I'm going to come back and take some calls on this, and then I want to get to the rest of the war on this. I also want to play you some Matt Taibbi, Michael Schellenberger, who was brilliant yesterday in the in the whole debate on social media and the shadow banning that took place and how that really affected the election. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade show. A lot on the table. So glad you're here. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade show. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. And my last question for you is, do you think it would be transparent if Hunter Biden came to this Congress and testified in a public hearing and more transparent than if he testified privately? It's, I mean, literally, I've never thought about that. I have no idea. <laughs> you don't I've literally never thought about that. Because that's not the point. He doesn't want to get political. Yesterday, Matt Taibbi, Michael Schellenberger went up to Capitol Hill to testify what they found out in the Twitter files when Elon Musk turned over the records. It turned out the FBI, the uh, Department of Homeland Security, White House, constantly making calls to Facebook and Twitter and uh, all these social media companies to change the message, whether it was anti-Trump, stop Trump. Whether it's his son or anybody else saying a positive story about Trump, you shadow ban, you softly ban, or it was during COVID. Anything was against their narrative that they thought was disinformation, they would just silence. Any objection to the vaccine, any negativity towards a study. They got Thomas Massey. He said, I, I pointed to a study over in Israel about the vaccine, and I got shadow banned. And we didn't find that out until Elon Musk bought it. And let these two investigative reporters go through it. The anger the Democrats showed is unbelievable. The lack of contrition, whether they were part of it or not. Adam Schiff and company felt compelled enough and felt empowered enough to call up Twitter and say, take this down. Put this up. Thanks for doing that. After a while, they were talking about how much they were getting, money they were getting from the FBI. And it still wasn't enough for all they had to deal with. So here's a little of the exchange with Michael Schellenberger. Um, I'm Aorcus and the direction Ray uh, uh, and, and director Ray about lying to Congress, how the FBI was flagging content. Listen to this. Cut 42. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say that they misled Congress. Um, I'm, I can't be sure of their intention, but they're wrong that those agencies weren't involved in uh, in demanding censorship by the social media platforms. And, and just briefly, like how how 
how were they involved in censoring speech? Well, FBI, I don't want to read your whole article. Just oh, sure. I mean, FBI agents were directly flagging content to Twitter, saying this appears to violate your terms of service. What about this? What about that? Same thing with DHS staff, and then of course DHS created uh, the Election uh, Integrity Partnership which then became the Virality Project, which was in the process of demanding mass censorship of Americans. So that was Greg Stubbe, who's going back and forth with. You know, especially guys like Dan Goldman, what are you getting so defensive about? You weren't even in Congress at the time. Just come out and say, I'm outraged. Because next time it could be Democrats that are shadow banned. I don't want, any, I don't want the FBI saying what I should know. Do you? Now, I know there's a problem. If Hamas gets on there and says, kill Americans... I think that, that I'm not saying I'm for free speech that's going to endanger people. That That's a bridge too far. But then you tell me there's a chance of myocarditis, the swelling of the heart if I take a vaccine, and there's some other information from people that have experienced that among young people. I want to know about that. You better not stop me from learning about that. And that's what was happening about the whole thing and the controversy around it. Here's Matt Taibbi, Cut 49. Well, uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you that there's uh, a realignment going on. Um, until very recently, I think free speech uh, and free speech culture was um, uncontroversially embraced really by both parties. Uh, you know, during the entire uh, early period of the war on terror, uh, those issues strongly animated most Democrats that I knew. Uh, most of my friends were um, in opposition to laws like the Patriot Act or at least concerned about them, uh, potential for overreach there. So Matt Taibbi uh, got blistered. In fact, remember, the IRS knocked on his door the day he was te- the day of he was testifying. The IRS said, take a look at your taxes. Really? Does that have anything to, anything to do with the fact that I called out the DHS and exposed the White House and exposed the FBI? Suddenly you're interested in my taxes? That's interesting, isn't it? Does anyone think that's a coincidence? So Matt Taibbi said he grew up in a very liberal household. I wrote for the Rolling Stone, and he probably feels the same way. He was just telling Laura last night the way he was disrespected, again, for the second time in a year on Capitol Hill by people like Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who are saying the most ridiculous thing along to Dan Goldman, is insane. He noticed the Democratic Party changed. Cut 50. I grew up a traditional kind of liberal. I I donated to the ACLU my whole life, uh, and I got most of my ideas about speech from uh, Democrats, people like Frank Church and Paul Wellstone and Russ Feingold, and there is no element of that left in the Democratic Party. In fact, today was kind of an epiphany for me. I've kind of given up trying to convince people in this party to care about this issue. They just do not anymore. Uh, it's not a value that they uh, treasure at all. And he's a great guy, and he comes on this show a lot, he comes on the TV show a lot, and we'll have him back. And I just think, I wish I could have got this stream, or they should put the stream up, I should find out how to get it. You should just listen to it. And it's just these people, the Democrats are so defensive. Brian Kilmeade Show, General Kellogg next. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I just don't see why we feel the need to go into their war cabinet, why Secretary of State Blinken feels the need to go into their war cabinet and lecture them about human rights when the abusers 
are on the other side of that wall in Gaza. And that should be what we hear from Blinken, from Biden, and the entire administration is continuously and constantly calling out the terrorists for who and what they are. And, you know, I just saw this tweet that uh, from George Friedman essentially saying it's a new policy with the State Department to set up a two-state solution. And they basically are saying, wait a second. So let's get this straight. Here's what he said. Blinken to Abbas. U.S. is committed to advancing a Palestinian state. He says this is a Palestinian authority. Let's unpack that. Hamas commits a massacre worthy of Attila the Hun. Abbas and his team side with Hamas. Abbas blames Jews for the Holocaust and pays stipends to terrorists to kill Jews. Abbas is in his 18th year. And they get a state? Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg, do you understand what the ambassador's getting at? He doesn't understand it. Yeah, you know, Brian, this is amazing to me when, when you think of it. When you look at actually what's happening right now, first of all, they've got this really backwards. And we said that a long time ago. Let's start with the Palestinian Authority first, Brian. The Palestinian Authority has no no credibility at all with the United States, and it shouldn't. And I'm talking about Abbas specifically. You know, we offered them in 2019 uh, peace through prosperity, and we showed them a way to get ahead on the Abraham Accords. And he did, they wouldn't even show up to the meeting we had in Bahrain to kind of show this is how we need to get there. So to me, they've lost. Can you back that up a second? So you wanted their administration to understand what you're doing with the Abraham Accords, and they didn't show up? They didn't show up. It was 2019. We went into Bahrain. Uh, Jared Kushner took a team in there uh, with Avi Berkowitz, and they, we laid it out to him. We said, this is the way to get ahead. And Abbas wouldn't even show up with his team out there. And then, of course, Hamas is running them out of town. They're actually in the West Bank. They're really not in, in Gaza right now. And the only way this is going to work, to me, with the Israelis is, number one, they're going to have to eradicate Hamas. But number two, if they really want to work with Palestinians, they need to bring in and, and they need to look at it economically. They need to bring in somebody that they can actually talk to the Israelis. And there are some people out there. You know, when you look at Muhammad, for example, Mohammed Dalin, who's actually currently in the UAE with uh, Mohammed Bichalid of MBZ, he's actually came out of Gaza. He kind of knows that because he's a younger individual. And this is the kind of individual Israel, Israel is going to have to work with if they ever want to solve this problem. It's not going to be solved kinetically. It's not going to be solved by bombs. They're going to have to figure out how do we get out of this thing, much like we did with the Abraham Accords, is how do you make it economically feasible and desirable for the for the Palestinians to want to work with the Israelis. But but they, this administration, they're going back in time. You know, they, Remember what John Kerry said, Brian, that the only peace in the Middle East will occur – is if you include the Palestinians. We said no. You know, make the Palestinians come to us. So they've got it wrong, and I think Blinken is terribly wrong. I think for him to go into the War Council and prescribe what the Israelis should be doing in an existential fight for their very existence is foolish, and it just shows where this administration is. Right now they've they've resumed the fighting. Uh, They say the Hamas did not deliver the 10 a day to keep the pause going. So after a seven-day pause... And they got back about 60, 70. Don't, no idea how many are left. Did they expect they thought 240? So they're, they're fighting again. And if you are you're spending a lot of time in the north, you unearthed the terror t- tunnels that we all saw. Now it's time to go to the south. What's the biggest challenge as the IDF moves to the south where you told everybody to flee to? Yeah, the biggest problem they're going to have is the fact that when you head to south, that you're right. That's where they told everybody to go to. But that's probably where Hamas has gone to. And, 
the hard part about this is you're seeing this is really really tough for the Israelis now. You know, I would prefer they not go to the south. If I was, a, I would say, look, isolate Gaza, reduce Gaza. That was the headquarters of Hamas. And then once you do that, you can kind of say, okay, where are we going to end up and go in right now? But they're almost going to become overextended, Brian. And I and I say that from from a military perspective. They've tried this once before when they went into to Gaza, and it didn't turn out really well. I think there's an opportunity for them to say, okay, you, you split the baby in half, you control Gaza City, uh, which actually does control to control Gaza, and then you kind of say, okay, we've got this. Now's the time to come in, and we're going to start talking. But we're not going to be talking to Hamas. We're going to be talking to a revised Palestinian authority, and they're not going to talk to anybody until that occurs. So this is one of those, you've got to figure a way to break the cycle. I know, but who do you deal with? Do you think somebody knows who there is to deal with, but if they show themselves, they're going to get assassinated? Yeah, Brian, I do. I, there are a couple people out there that they've talked to in the past. That's why I mentioned this guy, Dolan, who, who's currently, you know, and actually in I've in heard UAE. that name, yeah. And, and, and it was actually somebody that we brought up, the name was brought up actually in 2019, but you've got to get away from the current leadership. Abbas is not a leader anymore. He shouldn't be leading the Palestinians' authority. You've got to go to a whole new generation. And the Palestinians are going to have to realize this. This is something that's not going to occur in the next 30, 60, 90 days. But but everybody has to kind of realize this, and we need to put the U.S. pressure behind it, that this is the way it needs to go. And how we put pressure behind it is we take away their money. You know, Brian, we took away their money, the Trump administration from the Palestinian Authority. And this administration gave it back to them. <laughs> well, that, you don't do that. You basically say you, you econ- put an economic stranglehold on right. them. You bring everybody from the region in, and that includes the Saudis, and that includes the Egyptians, and that includes the Jordanians. You get everybody on your side. This administration hasn't done it. They sent a very bad message, and it's going to be fragmented, and I don't think they can pull it together. Well, we'll see. Uh, we know this. There's a report now in the New York Times got to look at this plan is 40 pages, and it details exactly the the military operation that happened October 7th among the Hamas. And the, reportedly, the Israelis knew that Hamas had a plan to attack for over a year. They were The New York Times saw this attack plan. It's 40 pages. It's codenamed Jer- Jericho Wall, outlined point by point exactly what happened. But they said their assessment was this is aspirational. There is no way... Hamas is capable of pulling off an operation like this. They were wrong. Oh, yeah, Brian. But but I've seen this happen before in, in other militaries around the world to include ours. You know, it, it's, oh, it's too difficult. They can't do it. You know, there's a classic military theorist that all of us in the military had studied, a guy named Sun Tzu. And he said, if you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of 100 battles. If you know yourself and not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer defeat. There was arrogance here. No, they can't pull it off. The biggest mistake you make in the military is assuming that you are all-powerful and you're not looking through their lens. And I, when, I, when this report, and you know, I, I know the report you're talking about, comes out and they look at it, this is something that the Israelis are going to focus in on. And there should be some heads rolling uh, because of this, because I have seen this happen. I've seen it happen in the United States as well. Sometimes there's arrogance of the intelligence community that they're always right, when in fact that's the worst thing you can have. And I, and I remember, Brian, when I would sit in the Oval and we'd go through the presidential daily brief and the intelligence team would come in and, and brief it. And, and I used to always say, boys, you better have somebody in the room cross-checking you. 
every single time. And you always have to have doubters. Yeah. Because if you don't have doubters in the room, you're going to fall into that trap. And it looks like they really did. I mean, this was clearly what they were saying. They saw this coming. Mm-hmm. They reported it up the chain of command. The chain of command said, no, they can't do it. They're not capable. Wrong. Right. Uh, it's not clear in the report whether Benjamin Netanyahu was ever reviewed the document or was even told about the document. No way either. Either way. I want to fast forward, if I can, over to Ukraine. It looks like the Russians, uh, the Russians are doing the best they can with drones that they're now building themselves uh, to try to blitz certain areas. But they are losing the morale game, uh, even the popularity of this conflict amongst their own people. What's the state of things? You've been to Ukraine a number of times since the attack began. Yeah, Brian, I think where you're at is, and actually Zeluzny, who's our senior military general, said it. He actually wrote about it in, in The Economist the magazine, where you're almost in a stalemate right now, which is really where you don't want to be with the Ukrainians. You know, you're reaching a point right now that this this accrues to the Russians' favor because they can afford a, an attrition fight and the Ukrainians cannot. So they're going to have to start to figure out, okay, how do they get out of this? And this is one of those long-term issues where I think Trump had it right. You you like it or not, and you accept it or not, there's going to have to be some level of negotiations. When you look at, you know, I I would tell people, I challenge you to this, go out there and look at the the demographics right now of Ukraine, and you look at the age group right now between the age of 18 and 27, and it's a decreasing age group. And part of that is because the amount of soldiers, young men they have lost in this war, which is over 120,000. This goes back to what happened in World War II, Brian. I'm sorry, World War I, Brian, with, with, the, with the Brits, when they lost a whole generation because of the fighting in, in World War I, which yeah. was French warfare and attrition warfare. So somebody's got to sit down with Zelensky and also Putin and say, there's got to be a way out of this, figure a way out of this. You can't keep doing this because an attrition fight is not going to go well for anybody. And they've only regained about 20% of the land. I know that flies in the face of a lot of people, and they don't like it, but you've got to look at the long-term progressions strategically in uh, Eastern Europe. you got to give up Crimea. you got to give up the Donbass region. Uh, you hold on to Odessa and the ports. I don't know. They did do some extraordinary things and basically forced the Russian Navy uh, out of Crimea. Number two is they also reopened their own corridor for their grain grain sales and in almost every head-to-head fight, it looks like they win. It's because the Russian morale seems so bad. But like you said, they just keep sending more and more people, and they don't seem to be getting a backlash that they experienced in Afghanistan, even though they, the bios, the bodies are piling up. Uh, the one thing I wanted to ask you is the F-16s and the F-16 pilots. That would be a game changer if they actually had an air force. Don't you believe that? And will there be enough to make a difference? You know, Brian, I, I've gone back and said before, okay, I, I got this thing on the F-16. Here's where the Biden administration made a huge mistake. The best airplane for close air support, and we have used it in the United States Army and Air Force, was the A-10. We are retiring that aircraft. It was designed to fight the Russians, the Soviet Union. We have a lot of them. We have a lot of them in mothballs. And it's an easy airplane to fly. It's it's really not that technically difficult. So we should have been giving them things like the A-10 early on, and they haven't done it. So now you give them an F-16, it's going to take a, while, a long time to train them and get them on the ground. You're not going to see the F- any F-16s flying over Ukraine for another six, seven, eight months when they could have been flying the A-10s earlier. So my criticism is, guys, I know you're talking about the air, but you got the wrong platform. And you know what I would have done, Brian? And this is one of those, we go back to World War II. In World War II, we had Eagle Squadrons in Britain. Those were three volunteer squadrons of pilots. Americans who flew for the Brits. In, in the Pacific, you had the Flying Tigers, same thing. 
I would have laid you money if you'd gotten the A-10s out there and said, we want to have volunteer pilots. Can we anybody want to fly these? You would have a lot of people sign up and say, I'm willing to fly that A-10 uh, against the Russians because there's already a foreign legion. Do you feel like they were too slow and vulnerable, though? They should have. Don't you think the Pardon? A-10 would have been slow and vulnerable or no? No, because it was designed to fight in that environment. Okay. It's a great airplane. What have they lost? Some of them, sure. But we designed the A-10 to fight against the Soviet Union in the, in, in the Fulda Gap region. So we said, okay, why not use an aircraft like that? At least gives your ground commander a confidence that there's something above him. Right now, there's nothing above him. And we kept saying, oh, we're promising F-16. It sounds good. It really is not the great platform. When you have an aircraft, the F-16, that flies twice the speed of an A-10, cannot loiter like an A-10, and cannot carry the payload, you're giving them the wrong platform to fly. And I just shake my head and go, why do we do things like this? Not sure. Uh, General, thanks so much. Keith Kellogg, appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. He's uh, pick up his book, War by Other Means. Uh, When we come back, uh, I'll take some of your calls before we're done with the hour. Also, I want to go over a little bit about uh, what is happening with the uh, red state, blue state debate last night. We played you some of the highlights. Not all. Uh, I thought it was just very educational, very interesting. And it's very great for Ron DeSantis, too. I want to get your take, though. Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. All right, we are back. I want to. I don't know if you missed the red state, blue state debate, but it was essentially not only with these governors representing their state and their own careers, but they were really talking about two different philosophies for a country: uh, light on crime, no penalties, thousand dollars. You could steal up to a thousand dollars, not get charged at all. We got the beginning of the smashing grab, the poisoning of a city in San Francisco with the open drug use and no law enforcement. Los Angeles overrun with homelessness. A a governor who says, I'm going to tackle homelessness and admits basically, not last night, he's been an epic fail. On the other side, you have a governor that single-handedly, along with, and I think uh, Governor Scott did a good job too, but just made sure that Florida was a red state from here on in by his beliefs, willing to take on uh, Disney. Uh, willing to go to bat uh, against 60 minutes. And he was the front runner to get the nomination, even though it looks like it's Donald Trump's to lose. So we played you a little bit there sparring last night, and we heard you heard the little soliloquy from Gavin Newsom. But here's a little bit more of the exchange about people leaving California. Cut five. Can you explain this migration out of California and going to red you mean, state, you mean, blue state. Well, hold on. You, you mean the, the, the last two years, more Floridians going to California than Californians going to Florida? No, I, California has no peers. California dominates. Sizable 21 state populations combined. It's the fifth largest economy in the world. We dominate. Number one manufacturing state. We dominate in two-way trade and research and development, uh, access to innovation, more scientists, more researchers, more engineers, more Nobel laureates in the state of California than any other state in the nation, the finest system of higher education. It's the birthplace of life science and biotech and nanotechnology. We dominate in green tech. We dominate in high tech. We dominate in artificial intelligence. So with respect, I think it's an interesting case 
campaign strategy for Ron DeSantis to be bashing a state of 40 million Americans when California simply has no peers. So I was talking to a fella who had made the move from California uh, to Florida, and he was telling me that Florida is much better governed, uh, safer, better budget, uh, lower taxes, all this stuff. And he's really happy with the quality of life. And then he paused and he said, oh, by the way, I'm Gavin Newsom's father-in-law. So we do count Gavin's in-laws as some of the people that have fled California. Almost everything that, that is in California was there before he got there. The, the green thing and getting rid of gas-powered cars, you think the gas is uh, 5 $6 now? Say your taxes are high, they are. Well, we, we tax the rich more. Really? Okay. Well, when you put taxes into gas and your utilities, who do you think is paying the price for that and who is struggling to do it? He's running across things that just said California makes it a great state. But what about how you're governing that state, whether it has little resources, let's say like a Mississippi or less resources than other states? That's fine. But what have you done with it? I mean, for example, look at the size of New Hampshire. There's only 1.3 million people there. Every state's got different characteristics. What do you believe? What have you done? And what he was doing so badly, they tried to recall him. And for a while, he was actually losing. And, you know, the, the, the uh, district attorneys that they put in there that thinks crime first. Let's make sure that the criminals don't, get, uh, don't have to deal with bail and get back out on the streets. So there's a lot of facts there. So Gavin Newsom, that's what he would do. He would run through things. And by the way, I have not been able to get that confirmed over the last two years. It's clear that more people have left California for Florida. He came out and says, no, not over the last two years. Well, I, where's that come from? We just showed you a bar graph that showed it was something totally different. The other thing that he said, it might not seem like a big deal, but they started to say, look at you. When you were in Congress, you were for amnesty. He said, I was not. Yeah, you and John Boehner. John Boehner was gone by the time there was an immigration bill. In 2018, there was a bill that said that uh, people that were there on a work visa could stay an extra three years. Is that amnesty? You don't get to stay. So that was a total ruse of a point. Keep it here. Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to BrianKilmeade.com. Find out where I'll be. For example, tonight I'll be in St. Louis, KFTK. And then Saturday over in Texas, Sunday in Alabama. BrianKilmeade.com. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, we had a great week. A consequential week. Uh, we had a five, six, seven day pause. That's on over. We're also going to find out today uh, if Congressman Santos is going to be kicked out of Congress, even without being convicted of a crime. I mean, the ethics in violation is terrible. I understand that. I mean, it's hard to I'm not making excuses for him, but it is. I kind of agree with the current speaker. It's a dangerous road. So you have big ethics violations, but you usually in America, you get your day in court to find out what's happening. So he's had a couple of top votes to get him expelled. He has not done that. And this will be the sixth one in the history of the country to do it. He is actually my congressman. I interviewed him this morning. Uh, we might want to pull some of that just because he, he expects to get expelled. He basically told me they need 290 votes out of the 435, and he expects to get expelled today. So that's pretty significant. Uh, and that, of course, would mean an emergency, uh, uh, you know, a snap election. And it's most likely going to flip. This guy, Tom Swazi, is a so-called moderate in the area. And one of the reasons why there's a majority in the House of Republicans is New York because of seats 
like Long Island. Not saying it flipped because uh, Tom Suozzi was running for governor, so he left his seat, and Peter King had left his seat earlier. So that is, was traditionally a Republican seat, but uh, Suozzi might have the juice to flip it. Would be a bad sign for the House. He'd leave him down just to three, uh, a three-seat advantage. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. FBI agents were directly flagging content to Twitter saying this appears to violate your terms of service. What about this? What about that? Same thing with DHS staff. And then, of course, DHS created uh, the Election uh, Integrity Partnership. There you go. Uh, Michael Schellenberger, remarkable. Matt Taibbi and, and Michael were absolutely heroic in the exposure on the Twitter files and the Dems' assault on free speech. As they testified almost one year since they introduced all the revelations from the Twitter files, um, and you just saw Democrats helplessly flailing to try to justify this actions by the FBI, by Homeland Security, and by the White House. A person who made this exposure possible, Elon Musk, now a target uh, of the left. He's he incensed them. Number two. When these pauses are over, they intend to go back at it. And as they make that decision, they'll continue to find support from the United States in terms of the tools and capabilities, the weapon systems that they need. They made the decision. They're going back at it. Hamas breaches the hostage deal, and now the IDF blitzes back, and the eyes on the elimination of thousands of Hamas fighters should happen. Unearthing miles of terror tunnels has to be on the agenda while being warned to avoid civilians. Number one. You have the freedom to create a homeless encampment under a freeway and even light it on fire. There's one thing in closing that we have in common is neither of us will be the nominee for our party in 2024. Well, uh, don't tell that to Gavin, uh, to to Governor DeSantis. And I'm not too sure that, that Gavin Newsom is not lining himself up to do it in 24. The great red state, blue state debate, Newsom versus DeSantis. Sean Hannity uh, was the moderator, did a great job. And I have some highlights of it. But first, sad news. Retired Associate Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States, Sandra Day O'Connor, has passed away at her Phoenix, Arizona home of complications related to advanced dementia, probably Alzheimer's and a respiratory illness. She was 93 years old. She served in the high court from 1981 until 2006. After serving more than 24 years on the court, she was the first female member. She survived by her three sons. And uh, her husband, John O'Connor, preceded her in death in 2009. Chief Justice Roberts said of O'Connor, quote, a daughter of the American Southwest, Sandra Day O'Connor blazed an historic trail as our nation's first female justice. She met the cha- that challenge with the undaunted determination that she's always had. Now, to the war, and it's a big one, because because they breached the agreement of getting back all the women, 10 a day. They said as soon as you breach it, there goes the pause. They breached it, there goes the pause. And they're bombing away right now in Gaza, and they have to. Even though the rest of the world seems to be upset about it, I don't think rational people would think anything different and even though Hamas wanted this fight, and that bothers me, I think in the big picture, they have to get this fight. They have no choice, especially in that region where you are punished if you show any weakness. So now we're back at it, and they're ready to go. This got everybody nervous. Cut 34. Mr. President, there are members of your party who would like to see conditions placed on aid to What is your view on that? They would like to see 
Well, I think that's a, a, a worthwhile thought, but I don't think if I started off with that, we'd ever gotten to where we are today. We have to take this a piece at a time. So that's what Bernie Sanders wants. He wants conditions on the weapons we give him. Tell him where to bomb, how to bomb, or stop bombing. And that's not going to work. You can't fight a war like that, especially if you have allies. Mike Waltz, who's upset that we even have a Secretary of State in their war council meetings. I don't think we belong there. It's like walking into the locker room of a team just because you want that team to win. Cut 35. Put yourself in their shoes. Let's go back to September 12th, 2001. Uh, it was take the gloves off uh, and, and, and put bombs on these on these terrorist foreheads. Uh, I have had to go into schools and hospitals getting shot at while getting shot at by terrorists hiding behind civilians. And we literally lost men, lost American soldiers trying to go room to room when the much easier thing would have been to do, frankly, was was just eliminate the entire building. So I have every confidence that the IDF. As, a, as an army that follows the laws of the rule and, and rules of warfare will do everything they can, not only from a human rights standpoint to avoid civilian casualties, but they know it's being used against them in the global propaganda war. Yeah, so Mike Walls last night with Neil Cavuto, and he's a war fighter as well as a diplomat and worked for Dick Cheney, so he knows Washington, and he actually knows the brutality of war as a Green Beret. Shannon Bream joins us now, anchor of Fox News Sunday, Fox News chief legal correspondent, author of the book, uh, Love Stories of the Bible Speak. So, Shannon, I just uh, informed our listeners that Sandra Day O'Connor has passed away at the age of 93. As usual, when you don't hear much, it's usually some type of mental illness, like what happened with Reagan. You didn't really get any updates. They just put you away uh, with the family. And that seems to be what happened here, right? She had dementia. She did, but there were many, many years post the court that she was out publicly and working yeah. for advocacies and programs that she really cared about. She was very worried that the younger generation wasn't getting civics education. They didn't know how the government worked. They didn't know how the courts worked. And so she spent years on that before she quietly sort of walked away from public life um, out there giving speeches and urging schools to take up a curriculum that would give kids a better understanding of their country and this a wonderful American experiment, experiment, how it worked, how they should be getting involved. Um, but, yeah, she was really worried that there were generations coming that didn't get the full understanding of how America works and, and why they should be involved. Right. Uh, so, Sandra, the big story, I, there's many big stories. First off, what did you sure take from the debate last night? Um, I only got to see the first part of it. I thought it was very interesting because I felt like you would put a stat up or research up or whatever. And these two governors saw that same data two completely different ways. So what I've, whatever obviously was most beneficial to their policy that they're advocating. But I thought, gosh, if we can't even have a debate or a conversation where people look at data and say, okay, it, it, those numbers say X, um, I just didn't know if we'd be able to have a real full-throated debate with these two. But they're obviously both good communicators, and it was fun to watch. Yeah, I just think you do. I, uh, Donald Trump, I, I asked him for a statement last night. I was doing the five, and he said, I wish them all the best of luck in 2028. So basically, <laughs> you're, you're in the undercard. But, I mean, two guys very conversant, two very talented speakers. There's no doubt about it. It was a bit of a flashback uh, to – to an earlier time when the debates were a little bit more substantive than they are when you got all these people on the stage from the same party because people just vehemently disagree. I mean, the one area in which I don't think Gavin Newsom understands 
how important I think it is that we in, you could go to California without telling your parents and begin sex change procedures. I mean, in high school. And they just, well, have compassion, have a heart. Wow. No, we, I don't know anybody who sees it that way, but I'm sure there's people in his life that see it that way. So they're admitting. Then he's, for the other thing that I think is a non-starter is when he said Martha's Vineyard, it's cruel you use people to fly people around. No, he didn't use them. They were dropped in his, they were going to be dropped in his city without telling him. He's dropping them in another city. That's a beautiful area, a luxury job, a luxury ride. So get them to understand the ramifications of their policies. Gavin Newsom was a, thought it was an aha moment for people that have been following this. It was, oh, I forgot about that. That's good. Yeah, and, and listen, a lot of people think that this is, you know, you refer to 2028, but these guys are having substantive policy debates right now. I mean, it's just the way that it's happening. They they are in the middle of all of these culture wars and these economic questions, and the COVID questions, and the lockdown questions. Like, they are debating things that people are thinking about right now that do have very different positions. Um, and I do think, you know, Obviously, Newsom's going to come at DeSantis in a way that that fellow Republicans probably wouldn't in the same way say like, oh, you're doing all these crazy culture war things. You hate people. You're making their lives terrible. So I I think it was an interesting gamble, I think, for the DeSantis team, but to know that they would probably be able to get to clarify some positions on some of these culture issues with Newsom in a way they wouldn't get to do with the rest of the GOP field. And so from what I saw, they got to have some of those substantive conversations. Well, I guess we're not having another headlines in Politico. The Newsom camp, Hannity, DeSantis cheated, uh, and they dispute the charges. <laughs> okay, they cheated. I mean, how? I mean, what are you talking about? Uh, yeah, I don't know. And, and of course they're going to – listen, Sean said up front, he's like, listen, it is not a secret. I am a conservative person. I'm coming from that viewpoint, but I'm going to try to do this as neutrally as possible with fact-based questions and let you guys go from there. But, of course, people are going to be like, oh, you know, it's a Fox, um, you know, opinion host, and he is going to have a certain viewpoint. But I do think from the part that I saw that Sean was very much trying to point to hard data and say, okay, now let's debate how we got to these places and these numbers and what they mean. Um, But, you know, there are other people who watch other debates Mm -hmm. and feel like the moderators have not been completely neutral. Um, Maybe it's difficult for any moderator to ever be 100 percent completely neutral in any political debate. Uh, So we also know I talked to George Santos today. It looks like he feels as though he's going to be expelled. Your thoughts on that? It'll only be the sixth time in history, and it'll leave the Republicans with just a three-vote margin. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because you have, over the last few days, had – well, I would say more broadly a couple of weeks back when the ethics report came out, you did have more Republicans coming and saying, um, we actually think that uh, – we've seen it up with the ethics – that, you know, what they've pulled up, we're not going to wait for the trial. We think we're going to take the moral high ground. We're going to vote them out. You've got more and more Republicans now saying we can't pick and choose about how exactly we're going to do this because we only have four votes. We're going to go down to three. Let's wait for the trial and see what happens. And and now as we get to crunch time, I feel like you are having some of the more prominent Republicans coming out to say, like, no, I'm going to be a no vote. And I'm going to wait and see what happens in the due process part of this. Yeah, a lot of Republicans will, will will vote not to expel. Steve Scalise, no. Jim Jordan, no. Speaker of the House, no. Uh, Matt Gates, no. Uh, but no, that will not be enough. We'll see. And turns out he is my congressman. So I will need representation. Uh, so I'll have to represent well, myself for a while. Is this you throwing your hat in the ring? Hmm. Are you going to be part of the special election? The if I could still do Fox and Friends and the radio show and don't have to campaign. Will you do 10? 
10 jobs already. What's an 11th? And <laughs> frankly, people don't think that they spend, Congress spends enough time doing their actual jobs. So you could I put you right know, in. shoehorn it in along with your best-selling books and everything else. Right. Uh, Teddy and Booker T. Shannon, I have to ask you, too, about the – it turns out that the hostage drama is over. It's bad. They're back in action and bombing in Gaza. And yep. uh, Anthony Blinken sits in on the War Council meeting. Anthony Blinken says he's pledging a two-state solution. Uh, that ship has sailed. Him going to meet with Mahmoud Abbas is just a dry hole. How many years has this guy had opportunities, did nothing? They should identify someone. Uh, we had Lieutenant General Kellogg on, and he identified uh, – Mohammed Dahlan, D-A-H-L-A-N. I've seen his name as somebody that might might be able to deal with. But the current leaders aren't going to work. Well, I mean, the thing is, if you've got one group of people who say we want one state and it doesn't include Israel, I don't know how you negotiate from that place. Now, are there good actors within Gaza who say we totally disavow Hamas? They do not speak for us. They are hideous monsters, but can we find a way to coexist, have some kind of Palestinian state, let the Israelites, you know, be over here and doing their thing? You know, I don't know if there's enough of that conversation and enough of those two groups who could actually sit down and do that. You know, there have been conversations. Could the Palestinian Authority do it? Um, Can they govern? It's going to depend on the people of that region, too. Are they willing to vote for something less than wiping out Israel? Are they willing to say, like, yes, we hate Hamas. We don't want them. We do want to find a two-state solution. I don't think that's a conversation Israel wants to be having right now because they feel like, probably rightfully so, that Hamas will never truly go away without wanting this existential threat of getting rid of Israel. I don't know how you completely exterminate Hamas because they're not all sitting there in the Gaza Strip. Um, It seems like an impossible task, but Israel feels like – you know, that's their stated mission. We have no other way to move forward but to get rid of everyone who could possibly be part of Hamas. Who's coming on your show this weekend? Well, we are at the Reagan Defense Forum in Simi Valley, California. And so for us, we are going to be defense-focused this weekend. I'm going to have a conversation with the new Joint Chiefs Chairman, General Brown. And um, we're going to talk to a couple of veterans who are in Congress on opposite sides of the aisle, how they see some of these fights, and um, some other things. But it's it's really looking at the world of defense what we're trying to manage around mm. the planet and how we do that as the United States. What, what exactly is it a series of uh, seminars and then you just cherry pick some, uh, is that what you're doing or speeches? Well, there are groups. Um, the secretary of defense is going to be here speaking. So we're going to do some pull aside sit downs with people, but yes, there are, are a lot of panels and speeches and people that are um, here from around the world. And um, we're probably going to, I think, sw- sit down with the Swedish foreign minister as well. Right. You know, they're newly joined into NATO. Sure. Um, we're going to talk Ukraine. We're going to talk Middle East, all of it. Awesome. Uh, sounds great. Shannon Bream, watch your show on Sunday, but first you have to watch one nation Saturday night, one Saturday leads to another. Night. It's like, okay. for example, I think it's Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley. You can't really watch Happy Days and not want to stick around for Laverne and Shirley. Um, are you Laverne or am I? Um, or are you Shirley or am I? I don't I'm, know. I'm more Richie Cunningham. Shamil Shamazel. Right, very good. Okay. Shannon Bream, <laughs> Fox News Sunday Zone, out of the West Coast. That means her office is empty. Have at it. Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. All right, guys. I just got to tell you this one story in basketball. is really cool. You probably don't know the Knicks too well. Mitchell Robinson, real good player. Got a $25 million contract. 
uh, big center. Well, he played for Louisiana Chalmette High School. Well, it turns out uh, his coach was really tight with him, and his wife and the coach's wife passed away. Uh, her name was Dawn, and Robinson invited the former coach uh, to come and live with him in New York. And she, he was interviewed uh, on the sidelines of a Nick game, uh, and Stockton explained the the coach that his wife had passed away in September. That Robinson invited. Her every day she, uh, had visited her every day that she was in the hospital at the funeral. Uh, Mitchell said he just invited Butch to come live with him in New York. Says it's time for you to start living your life and get yourself together. So the coach says there's no reason for you to stay here in Louisiana anymore. Come down to New York and enjoy yourself and get your mind straightened out. And Robinson, by the way, signed a four-year, sixty million dollar deal. I stand corrected with the New York Knicks last year. He's 25 years old. And he's living, uh, and he shared a photo of himself with Dawn Stockton before her passing. And he's living with his coach. Just goes to show you, sports pays off in life. Not just about how good you are, what kind of good person you are. Good job, Mitchell Robinson. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. So, obviously, we continue to believe that Israel has the right and responsibility to go after Hamas. They have said, they've spoken for their military campaign, and they have said very clearly that um, that when these pauses are over, they intend to go back at it. And as they make that decision, they'll continue to find support from the United States in terms of the tools and capabilities, the weapon systems that they need, as well as the advice and the perspectives that we can offer in terms of ur- urban warfare. That is... Uh... Admiral Kirby, knowing that we now know now that the deadline has passed, they only gave up eight hostages, supposed to give up ten, all women, that, that passed. Son of Hamas, by the way, came out, Musab, who's uh, the son of the founder who was flipped and coming to America, he got jailed and realized the folly of Hamas and the brutality of the organization. And he said, you have to demand all the hostages out, give them a deadline, or this thing will never end. They'll just take more hostages because obviously they proved to be a reward. That's somebody who knows the organization, and that's what... Believe it or not, I think they might have been underestimated by the Israelis, and now I don't think they would possibly underestimate them. Uh, and that's why Admiral Kirby said what he said. He went on. Cut 33. We have been very consistent and clear with our Israeli counterparts that uh, we do not support a, a move to the south unless or until they have adequately accounted for the protection of innocent human life, civilian life, in southern Gaza. With the understanding that there's a whole heck of a lot more innocent civilians in southern Gaza than there were a week or two ago. What we want to see and what we're urging our Israeli counterparts to do is to make sure that there's a proper accounting for that, that there are that that there is appropriate safety measures put in place. So that's what uh, Admiral Kirby's talking about. They're worried about world sentiment. I get it. You know what they're also worried about? They're worried about the fact that a huge portion of the Democratic Party and the majority of 18 to 34s who usually vote to the left are totally against Israel. Do not understand the issue. Don't understand the history, but see the oppressed Palestinians as a worthwhile cause. Meanwhile, this administration, according to the secretary of state, came out today and said, OK, we are committed to a two state solution. We can't wait to work with our Palestinian partners. He said it to Mahmoud Abbas, who's been he's very unpopular. He is corrupt. 
They have done nothing. Members of Fatah, his military wing, participated in the October 7th rally. That's a non-starter. Do you check with anybody before you come up with these policies? It's crazy. It's actually not crazy. It's left wing. And it's not niche. We used to say, if you bring up stuff about the squad to Democrats, they go, well, I've got smart people like Harold Ford. I said, Brian, that's not the Democratic Party. That's the extreme of the Democratic Party. That's what Donald Trump does. Donald Trump brings out this portion, uh, brings out the squad as if they are the Democrats. They're not. Now, but now they are. In this situation, they are. And it's caught me by surprise, too. Dan Gillerman was chairman of Blackstone Group. Uh, he was a, a key in Israel, by the way. Uh, he was a... Uh, ambassador for years uh, to the U.S. from Israel. He sat down with Neil Cavuto yesterday at the stakes, cut 37. I'm not sure we're losing the PR war, but, you know, people have a very short memory. And uh, the horrendous events that happened on October 7th, with babies being taken hostage, with children beheaded and women raped, have been forgotten. And all people now see is the rubble in Gaza. Right. Uh, And I don't know what you're supposed to do except to maybe let that video out. People like Governor Newsom, people like Senator Lindsey Graham, Senator Chuck Schumer, leaders who have seen uh, 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 Elon Musk, people that have seen it just say they're 100 percent convinced. But if you listen to the people in Oakland yesterday, Eric, if you could look that up from yesterday, remember in Oakland, they had a city council meeting and they just want to condemn Hamas. Okay. So I have a city council meeting. So when you have a city council meeting, anyone could come and speak their mind. And then you hear these people, obviously educated, obviously ignorant, spend some time, go to the microphone and say this. There's not been beheadings of babies and rapings. Israel murdered their own people on October 7th. They keep talking about Hamas, Hamas, Hamas. Our government does not fund Hamas. Our government funds Israel. Our government funds genocide. Our government funds killing of babies. To hear them, to hear them complain about Hamas violence is like listening to a wife beater complain when his wife finally stands up and fights back. Calling Hamas a terrorist organization is ridiculous, racist, and plays into genocidal propaganda that is flooding our media and that we should be doing everything possible to combat. I support the right of Palestinians to resist occupation, including through Hamas, the armed wing of the unified Palestinian resistance. Resistance to colonialism is not terrorism. There you go. I don't know what to say to that. So if you're trying to, it's almost a little like last night's debate. You say more people have moved from Florida, California to Florida. No, it haven't. What do you mean no, it haven't? I just showed you the stats. No, that's not the case. So when you tell people that this happened, this took place, these people died, this is the hostages that are taken, 88-year-old woman just came back yesterday, Uh, they're branding kids, they're branding kids with the exhaust in their motorcycle, and then the others say, murder a woman, chop off her head and cut the baby out in front of their kids. The other, one kid that survived, that came out, I think he was um, eight years old, nine years old. Well, it turns out him and his sister are running around. They kill his mother. The father sees it, sees the gunmen are in the house. He jumps in front of the boy, and then he gets killed, and then they take the kid hostage. Bad. What if someone just says it never happened? Really? You see these people come up in Red Crescent ambulances. You hear about the death and destruction. You see an entire town done, and Hamas posts the video. 
And you have these knuckleheads in Oakland who come out and say what they say. And I imagine some of the thousands that were all over Rockefeller Plaza that came out and interrupted the Macy's Day Parade believe that didn't even happen. So I don't know what to do with that. When, when you, it's hard to have a debate when someone doesn't have a foundation in reality. Here's more from Killerman, Cut 38. And I'm sure that some of these protesters sympathize with uh, their brethren in Gaza. But I hope they don't sympathize with Hamas, who is not only our worst enemy, but the worst enemy of the people in Gaza who they're holding hostage. So, you know, we, we have to do what we have to do. It may not look very, and it isn't very, very pretty, but at the end of the day, we have a solemn responsibility to our people to make sure that they don't have on their border these Hamas monsters. So listen, this is where we're at right now. All I've said is, you know Israel's on the right side. You know they got to do what they have to do. And the more they penetrate into Gaza, the longer the peace is going to be, the closer they get to peace in that region. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. and we come back, we end this hour with Senator James Langford, Oklahoma. Don't move. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I was more impressed with Ron DeSantis than I thought I would be. I thought that Governor Newsom, who I think is one of the most uh, effective presenters in politics, he was that tonight. But I thought that Governor DeSantis laid out very effectively his record in Florida. Was it able to uh, do what he wanted to do on the presidential stage? Probably not. But tonight, I think he probably fared better than I thought a lot of people thought he might have fared against a guy in our party, uh, Gavin Newsom, who I thought did well tonight, but I thought Governor DeSantis uh, did a pretty good job tonight as well, too, defending his state and his record. Which is interesting because I was on doing the five with Harold Ford, and he just thought that DeSantis was going to get killed. So I, I'm sure he was somewhat surprised. I cannot wait to see him in the green room because he believes Gavin Newsom's got great charisma. He believes... He's got uh, a lot of uh, talent, and he thought he'd be able to talk his way out of a lot of things because he did well with Sean Hannity one-on-one. Evidently, he's in Politico now complaining that the uh, the full screens and the charts and the the book covers that Ron DeSantis brought out and the map of all the human remains that were displayed were against the rules. He was not told about that. So... Uh, we'll see. People are complaining. That means he's probably not happy with the results. So with me uh, joining us in studio now, if you're seeing him taking off his coat, even though you think a guy from Oklahoma would say this is really, really too warm to wear a coat. I mean, basically, most people in Oklahoma don't even wear a shirt. They just wear a cowboy hat, right? And this is like 50 degrees, Senator. What do you need a coat for? You no, know, I just had it laying around on it a little bit. You so. have a look. You got you to gotta have the look to be able to have your coat on. Last time I saw you face-to-face, I was in Oklahoma. I think I was in Oklahoma City. Yeah. Right. We were in Oklahoma City. Great station there. Obviously, you're big in Oklahoma City and in Tulsa both. Yeah. And, uh, it's KRMG. Yep. Yeah. So uh, great to see you. Did you see any of the debate last night? I did not. I actually had meetings all the way through till very late last night. So I was just picking up the clips this morning on Fox to right. be able to just watch through some of the clips. So um, first off, do you think it's a fait accompli? Do you think Trump's won already? 
No, no one's voted yet. I mean, I, I, obviously, Trump's way, 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 way out in front. And uh, the Trump campaign continues to be able to put out. It's over. Everybody should be able to drop down, which is exactly what they should be doing at this point. Now, I don't blame Trump for skipping debates and all those things at this point because he's so far ahead on things. But literally no one's voted yet. So we'll, we'll let the voters actually decide that, not the polls. Have you surprised how vulnerable Joe Biden is, losing by 11 to Nikki Haley on a few polls, four major polls, losing by three, four, five to Trump? Same thing with DeSantis, one, two, three with him. Yeah, he's, he's, clearly Biden is vulnerable to every single Republican that we put up on it. So that's been a big deal. I'm not surprised by that, quite frankly, because America is looking for something very, very different. Uh, they, they've seen failed border policies. He keeps talking about Bidenomics, and I just keep saying, please keep talking about Bidenomics, because everybody feels exactly what he's actually done to the economy. We've had inflation go up 18% since he was elected, 18%. Uh, so, yeah. And when get, it goes up 3%, they go, look, it's slowing. But, yeah, but the increase yes. is slowing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, still, it's still dramatically increased. So what it is, but that was an increase over last year's increase, which is last year's increase and continue to be able to accelerate. So all those all those things people are really frustrated with, and they Democrats continue to say the border's not an issue, no one really cares about it, except in every poll you've got the top issues, the economy, and number two issue, and even the Harvard-Harris polls are out there are all about the border. Um, when you see what's going on now in Israel, uh, it looks as though the breach of the deal has been had, and the IDF is back bombing in Gaza. Uh, what are you hearing about the administration behind closed doors possibly getting wobbly in their support? Yeah, they, they've made statements like, well, we want to see a greater pause. We want to see everything be able to slow down. We want to see humanitarian things. And so do the folks in Israel, and so do I want to be able to see that. But when you've got Hamas literally carrying out terrorist attacks, even yesterday, Hamas fighters were in Jerusalem shooting people at a bus station and murdered several at a, at a bus station during, quote unquote, the pause on it. And Hamas is launching rockets again towards Israel. What is Israel going to do at this point? Just get a chance just to ignore it? Of course, they're not going to do that. They want to be able to engage and say, we want our people to be safe, just like we want our people to be safe as well. Do you think the president is risk adverse in allowing us to get 74 times and answering five? Yeah, he's incredibly risk averse. And in the, in the Middle East region, you can't be weak. You can't show weakness and say, well, you're going to attack us 75 times and then we're going to shoot a couple of rockets at a storage unit and say they're not going to respond. The American philosophy since 9-11 has been, if we know that you're coming to kill us, we're going to stop you before you come. Biden's philosophy seems to be, if you kill us, then we'll respond. That's exactly the wrong way to be able to show weakness, and it doesn't protect Americans. Right now, Senator Schumer says, I want to get the Israeli war and Ukraine war funded. I want to get Taiwan uh, money more to Taiwan, although we can't seem to deliver the weapons that they already paid for. And then the Republicans said, I, w- I need border address. I need asylum rooms adjusted. I want to get this done before the holidays. I saw a few Republicans say, I don't see that getting done. I don't see why not. Yeah, why, 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 not. why can't you do this? 100% we can get that done. Actually, what's interesting is when the administration actually made their request for funding for Israel, Ukraine, and Taiwan, they also asked for additional funding for the border as well, saying the border's out of control. We need additional funding there. And then they came out two days later with a Washington Post piece saying, oh, by the way, border funding is just a tourniquet. We really need additional policy. We at that point said, time out. We're not going to move on anything on funding for the border or any of these other funding areas until we actually get a change in policy and what's happening at the border. Why will we work to defend other nations' national security? We're not defending our own. We've had 70,000 people that even this White House has considered special interest aliens that have crossed in the last two years that they literally released into the country. Which is crazy. Yeah. I mean, who, what kind of philosophy is that? It's a huge national security risk. Yesterday, we had 9,435 people that illegally crossed the border. 9,435. Of those, 500 of them were screened. The other 8,900 were released into the country.
that cannot be sustained. So what could what would the language what would reform language look like in the next 2 weeks that yeah. we should be happy about? The, the, this was this in many ways is not hard. Instead of releasing people in the country and saying we'll do your asylum hearing later, you keep people in detention at the border and you do the asylum hearing then because very few people actually qualify for So you need a flood of judges? Yeah. So you need you need a bunch of space to be able to keep people. You need asylum officers to be able to do the screening. You need the ability to do that. In the meantime, you need the ability to be able to basically put up a sign, and uh, like a fire code sign, to say, we don't have capacity right now. You can come in and make an asylum request when we have capacity. Those two things would change everything at the border just like that. Yeah, what are the ch- Have you talked to a Democrat that said, I'll do that? Yeah, I have, actually. I'm in the thick of all the negotiations on all this, and I would tell you, I have talked to Senate Democrats that are saying, yep, I'm willing to do that, and a bunch of Senate Democrats are saying, no way, I'm not willing to do that. This is going to take this administration actually stepping up and saying if they're going to secure the border or not. If this administration doesn't actually say, I want to secure border and actually stand behind Senate Democrats and to say, okay, I'll stand with you in the political pressure you're going to get, then it's not going to happen. So you realize you would save the Democrats uh on election day. Yeah, but also save the country. To, that's great. Yeah. I'm just saying that, yeah. that if the Democrats don't realize that when the doors close and they talk to each other, they see the video. They, it's not just Henry Cuellar. Yeah. This is a lot of people saying yeah. this is a problem. And the fact is, in Chicago, they can't handle 10,000. Right. In New York, we're up to 100,000. Right. And it costs $5 billion. It's supposed to cost $7 billion next year. They're shutting down libraries, cutting cop classes, the few that will sign up for an academy class. So this is in everybody... When we were here four years ago, when I'm talking to you in Tulsa, yeah. this was a Republican concern. Now it's a national concern. You'd be saving them on Election Day. I, I hope they realize that. Yeah, I, I hope they realize it, too, just for the sake of the future of the country on it. Now, I think Americans are going to make their own choice on things. But quite frankly, Biden can't really do anything else on the economy. He's baked that in. He can't do anything about his age. Obviously, that's a big, big concern. He can do something about the border. That's the other big issue on this one, if he's willing to be able to actually step up and to be able to do something about it. But if he fights this off all the way to the end saying, I want to pretend I'm doing something, but not really do anything on it, we as Republicans have said we are not going to jump in and help a supplemental that doesn't actually secure our own border. So we'll see what goes on. It would be good to get something done. Do you think you'd have a partner in the House on this? Uh, well, we got if, if we can't get it through the Senate, we won't be able to get it through the House. Because you're going to have to have a lot of Republicans on board in the Senate and a lot of Will Democrats Will you consult them along the way to make sure, sure you're not spinning your wheels? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, what's the next thing on your agenda personally? It is literally I'm going to step out of this conversation right now and step right into a border negotiation conversation. I'm going to get on a phone call and to be able to start talking through the next step. We've got a piece of paper that are flying around back and forth to be able to try to get something settled. And uh, that's a big piece. And then tomorrow I will be in Dallas, Texas, watching Oklahoma State. Uh, play for the Big 12 championship against the University of Texas. Fantastic. The other thing I like to ask you is you realize they're selling off pieces of the wall for pennies on the dollar yep. that was already been paid for during the Trump administration. 100%. Can yeah. you stop that? We've actually worked to be able to stop that exact thing. And the other part of it is the law as it was written now four and a half years ago, it requires the construction of that fencing. And the Biden administration is now doing fencing construction with some of that uh, wall that was down on the ground. I so. heard it was movable. And not what you wanted. Oh, no. We, th- some of it has to go up in the exact form that it was actually done. What they have done is they've tried to do a lower fence, a shorter fence, to what, what I call a backyard fence rather than an actual security fence on it. And so they're actually putting up some of the security fence. Some of the money they've used for environmental remediation. So we've we got we to put tight boundaries around them or they're going to skip it. Perfect. 
From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Brian Kilmeade Show with me in studio is uh, Kevin McCarthy. I hate to say it, but former Speaker of the House. Does that bother you? No. Once a little the speaker, bit. always speaker. Look, I... Can I say speaker? I can say look, speaker. Once you're, there's only been 56 That's right. speakers. I say speaker in English yeah. all the time. Yeah, no, it, it's the same thing. But, look, would I rather still be able to... Yeah, but you can never take away what we accomplished. I mean, what's interesting is... I was speaker, but I, I've been Republican leader for five years. Yeah. So I always want to look at, have I left it in a better place that I received it? So when when I became leader, we were in the minority. We just got defeated in, in the election. And I remember going to the State of the Union. President Trump was there, and, you know, one side stands up, then the other side stands up. The Democrats looked like America, and we looked like the most restrictive country club in America. We were like 98% white male. In those two election cycles, when the Republicans lost the presidency, the Senate lost both cycles, um, the governors, the state legislature, we only won. But what did we win? We elected the most women ever in the history of the Republican Party, mm-hmm. the most minorities, the most black Republicans since Reconstruction. Look at what we achieved in that time period, too. Not only elected that, we have a, a four-seat majority today. When I became leader and Nancy Pelosi became speaker— we gained five more seats in California, five more in New York. We flipped a Democrat seat to Republican that hadn't been done in California since the 1990s. Um, we won the majority for the first – it's only the third time in history, in the right. last 70 years that the Republicans win the majority. At the same time, Republicans were losing, right? And then what did we do with this majority, right? Well, the first thing we did – it might be inside baseball. Well – I'm going to bring it to okay. that because I want. I know you were frustrated you couldn't answer this question. You were not on the floor. Oh, God, I so, wish I would have been. <laughs> so when Congressman Chip Roy was so angry that Speaker Johnson passed with Democratic votes a two-tier continuing resolution, which got you ousted because eight people thought that was the worst thing ever. But this thing, this after this, Chip Roy said this. I want my Republican colleagues to give me one thing, one, that I can go campaign on and say we did. One, anybody sitting in the complex, if you want to come down to the floor and come explain to me one material, meaningful, significant thing the Republican majority has done besides, well, I guess it's not as bad as the Democrats. You're, and you, you were frustrated because you wanted to answer Chip, who, by the way, was on your side through this whole thing. Yes. Uh, you know what? I would have gone to the floor if I heard Chip say that, and I would have asked for unlimited time because this is what I would have started with. He said, what has the new Republican majority done inside the House? So let's walk through what we did. In the very first day on the first option, we repealed all those IRS agents out of the House to the Senate. We made the biggest cut in American history, more than $2 trillion. We passed um, work requirements where the Democrats said they would never vote for. We put a 1% cut across. Into Social Security, into welfare. Into welfare reform. This is welfare reform we're doing. We put in there a 1% cut across the board if you don't do all your appropriation bills, something that's never been seen before. NEPA reform. This is environmental reform if you want to build something. It takes you seven years to build a road. For the first time in 40 years, we passed that. Then let's just walk through. First thing we did, we made sure members no longer could vote proxy. They had to show up to vote. Bills had to come through committee. Then we made sure that you had 72 hours to read anything. That's just structurally changed. Then when the Democrats wanted to decriminalize carjacking, murder in Washington, D.C., 
There hasn't been a Congress to stand up to the D.C. courts for more than 30 years, the council. Right. Not only did that, we put it into law. We put a bill across the desk that ended the pandemic. You know what that ended for America able to do? We put across the desk that you could no longer kick mem- members out of the military if they didn't take the vaccine based upon their religion. Then we passed H.R. 1 to make America energy independent, the most, uh, the most comprehensive bill for all the above. We passed the bill for securing the border, H.R. 2. We haven't been able to do this when we had a 30-seat majority. It is the most conservative border security right. bill in, in history. But you didn't but the, get to conference on a lot of it, right? Well, we're going into conference right. on this. The, look, the House can only do the House and then the Senate. Then we pass NDAA, which is then conference, Parents' Bill of Rights. So this is just within nine months. There was a study done when it came to August. They analyzed this Congress with the last Congress, where the Democrats controlled Congress, the Senate, and the White House. Yeah. You know who had more bills signed and more bills passed? This Congress. It's one of the most productive Congresses. So you were surprised that no one stood up and, and said – Well, he did it on a flyaway day. No one knows he's going down to it. Everybody's gone. But does he understand too – and I like him – but does he understand he has provided an ad for every Democratic candidate – that wants control. They're already in people's district. It's crazy. So I want to talk about today, and I'm, I know this is not nothing of this is news to you, but it seems to be a rash of retirements. Uh, the Democratic side, nine House members are leaving to run the Senate, including Congressman Dean Phillips, who's running for president. Uh, aging, other concerns are contributing to. Uh, 79% of Americans now support age limits for elected officials. But George Santos, obviously, how many are you guys losing right now to retirement? They just don't want to do it anymore. Well, we're going to have a few. That's, this is natural. And what, what you're going to find is you're going to see a string of retirements that get announced right after Thanksgiving and right after Christmas. Some of it pales on a time period when you have to file to run again. The other thing is you come home. And I expected this out of Democrats because what happens when a, when a party loses the majority, even though they're – they're streamlining to lose the majority. They, they they kind of pressure their members. No, no, stay with us because you can't leave now. If you leave in a bad win, we'll lose the seat. So they stayed with it and they went into the minority. So those members say, I don't want to stay around. I think you're going to see quite a few more and it's going to be a turnover. And it's a natural. On the Republican side, there's a frustration there too. Could be part what they what uh, those eight have done. I've heard from a number of members that way. Um, but that's an natural. Announcing you. Yeah, but there's also a good thing here. Think about Spamberger not running again. That's because we've been challenging her almost beat her. Kildee, we, we challenged him really strong. Slotkin, she's running for Senate, but we almost beat her. Those are pickups. We are in a better position. Even right. though we won the last two cycles, Republicans in the House are in a be- – we have a better climate to win more seats this cycle than the last two cycles. But the, the, between the, the chaos of the 22 days to decide the new speaker, between everyone seemingly turning on each other – uh, it just looked terrible for 22 days, Very and, you, bad, and bad. it was probably hardest on you. Uh, in the beginning, could you describe your mindset? And towards the end, if I could just say for my what I observed, you started to get angry. Like, this is ridiculous. The reasoning they're giving, the more you looked at it, and to see them struggle to fill your slot. You must, the, it made no – every day you must have thought to yourself, this makes absolutely no sense. Well, it's frustrating from the sense that – we are the only body that has a majority for Republicans. And I know what the Democrats, what they have done to us and why we were fighting among ourselves, right? And I, look, I, I could always look at hindsight, but it's personal. It, it's, it's, it was one guy personal. It's one they guy, he's trying to protect his ethics. I get all that. But, and, and, and a few others never voted for me anyways. And so, but 
to have to have 100% is very difficult. And what was frustrating to me, okay, they did it to me. It's personal to me. But then you went in and you took Steve Scalise out. And then you took uh, Jim, Jim Jordan. Jordan. Jim Jordan they took out. And I'm sitting back. And by the way, you supported both. Yes. And then Tom Emmer. Right. So what I'm thinking, here we are. What are you you removed me. But who are some people who could do this job? And the thing that they're not quite realizing, these eight, this is second aligned to the presidency. After, yeah. you're right after the vice president. The, the, the responsibilities of this job are different than someone sitting back and looking. And they're wanting to make a decision. These other individuals, there's more to the job than just policy. There's more to the job than just campaign. And these other three were capable of doing this job. You know, the, the biggest surprise is the congresswoman from South Carolina. She says you did not tell her the truth, and she teams, she teams with Matt Gates. You know, it's interesting. She says that, but she never tells you one thing I didn't tell the truth on. I couldn't understand why she was doing this. This is Nancy Mace. So I, um, I called her chief of staff, and it was like a day or two before. I said, hey, I just saw her say this. Is there something? Look, I'm not perfect. I fall, but I can't, I can't wave a magic wand. But is there something I said right. I would do that I did not try to do? So I asked I ask him. I said, hey, is there something? I'm asking my staff, and my staff says we've done and followed through. And um, he goes, no, you've done everything. I said, well, does she know that? She goes, yeah, she does know that. So I don't know. And but, then to see her sit with Steve Bannon and Matt Gates and say you're the problem, which I don't understand. The thing is, when you get this job, in my view, you have to understand when to – sometimes you've got to stand alone, right? Yeah. And other times you've got to understand you're on a team. Yeah. You gotta, sometimes you've got to explain to your district, I, for the best thing for my party to keep the majority, I had to do this. Other times you go, Kevin, I cannot do this. We're an oil drilling company or I'm in the Everglades. Yep. I can't do – there are certain – but I just don't think these people were ever on a team before. When yeah, Matt Rose, I'm interviewing Matt Rosendale and he says, I will never vote for a continuing resolution. I go, but you're not done with the appropriations bills. When you, if you were done with it, he's not saying I'm going to do an omnibus. If you said I'm doing an omnibus, I see a lot of people going, I can't believe we're doing that. But it's just a continuation to get what you're supposed to get done. You guys couldn't agree with each other in committee. Why is that your fault <laughs> that in committee they couldn't agree, Republicans couldn't agree with Republicans? But with a difficulty too, like a Matt Rosendale who said he wouldn't vote for a continuing resolution, which is just funding government while you work out the others. He was voting against bringing the appropriation bills up. So these eight – I did who, not know that. These eight who were all upset about this, blaming for this, they, they shut all of government down for a week. Then they'd shut down the rules so we couldn't bring the bill up. So all they were doing is bringing in – that's why you could see that it's, it's, it was just a personal thing. And I, I get that. We, we can move on from there. But they're hurting the whole country and they're hurting the party. It was great talking to former Speaker Kevin McCarthy earlier this week. Had a chance to talk to him on, off camera, TV and radio, but especially radio. So if you want to hear more of the full interview, go to Brian Kilmeade Show uh, podcast. I think you'll love it. Up next, more of my interview with the former Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. What will he do next? We talk China. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everyone. You know, Speaker McCarthy, extremely conversant in foreign policy. Uh, he would end up being a congressman, then a speaker. I don't know what's going to be next for him, but we did talk about China. Here's a little of my, uh, more of the interview with Speaker Kevin McCarthy. So I want to ask you about China. You have given money back from uh, different factions of, uh, that will link to the PRC. When you found out about it, you gave the money back. There are other lawmakers who are not. Um, how strong is the Chinese lobby, includes TikTok specifically, or at, at one of it, and how do I identify it and push it out of America, um, uh, of Washington? 
You know, I, I don't know that any member knows that China would be specific because it would be illegal for them to give. This is my concern. When I became speaker, I created the Select Committee on China. I literally went to Hakeem and I talked to him about what I want to do. And my whole idea of why I created this committee, at the 75th anniversary of Normandy, I was walking the grave sites with then-Speaker Pelosi. And I thought, as policymakers, what could they have done that that day would have never come, Right. These kids are all about the same age. They come from different faiths, from the Star of David to crosses. And it wouldn't be a week or so before. It'd be decades before. And then I watched in the pandemic where if we were at war with China, in 30 days we'd be in trouble because resupplying. Right. We, we've let China control different industries. They control 90% of critical minerals, but they control 95% of the processing of critical minerals. They control 50% of the medical supply and others. So I wanted to take China out of the partisanship, and we put Gallagher in, who's done a really tremendous job. Very, It's been a very good um, group meeting. We just found a lab in the Central Valley of California, just outside my district. You know how we found that it was Chinese-owned? There was a water hose coming out, and it was just a city employee. It's all regulation. She calls the CDC and others, they have Ebola inside there. They have thousands of rats. They're testing things that they don't have a right to test. No one would look at it. I sent it to the Select Committee of China. Mm-hmm. They came back where others felt $2 million from China has gone into this lab. This guy's not even supposed to be in America. He was found guilty in Ch- in Canada, and he, he he's Chinese and came into America. I mean, they are in our university systems. Right. They're spending a lot of money on spies. You know, one of the first things I did as speaker too, kicked Eric Swalwell off the Intel Committee. Right. If you had got the briefing I had, you wouldn't allow him in Congress. Well, 2016, China had lobbied. You spent $334 million lobbying. So they're spending probably more than that oh, now. Yeah. Uh, they and- spend more than any other country. Think about this, how expensive it is to have spies everywhere. That spy that Eric Swalwell had the relationship met him when he was a city councilman, yeah. helped him when he ran. The driver for the late um, uh, Senator Feinstein for 10 years was a Chinese spy. They focus on the Silicon Valley. Why? Our technology. But they focus on our college campus. Where did Eric Swalwell meet him? Not on a high university, but on a small university. He met this individual. They are, they are in Iowa. They, they care about our farming community. They're in every aspects of our lives. And if we don't understand this and if we don't fight back against it, we're going we're gonna to so, regret so you, this day. So can you, do you think you can personally identify lobbying firms linked to the Chinese uh, government? Well, I think some of these lobbying firms do it, don't realize by the way they fund the money to someone somewhere else. And what the Chinese government does is very sophisticated. They'll take these sister cities, right? So they go to an unconspecting small-town mayor and say, oh, this is really great. We're all together. We should work harder. You should, you, you should tell your elected official you know, that, um, that we're going to do more, and they come in and, and buy more products from, from this city or others. Um, and, and they try all different avenues. Watch. Because they think they can get a capitalist country by everybody buy money. Yeah, and what they try to do is – then they then they take over an industry and they dump and take that industry out of America and they and they control it and they try to get the um, they steal our intellectual property rights they try to have influence I mean think for what I have Lemoore Naval Air Base it has the F thirty fives there at the end of the runway I'm just I just found this out when I was home at the end of the runway a Canadian company owns a solar field and this this, this field is catching on fire okay but 
I've now been told that maybe this Canadian company is tied to a Chinese company. Why would they want a solar field at the end of a runway that has the F-35, and why would it be catching on fire? Are there sensors out there? I don't know, but I'm taking this to Gallagher back, and we're watching them buy up our farmland. We're watching them send balloons over. Well, you got a guy like uh, DeSantis who pushed back in this state. Do you need governors to push back? I mean, it just seems as though this could be one thing that, as you mentioned, the bipartisan look. But it doesn't seem like Joe Biden has the same approach as Donald Trump. Joe Biden doesn't have the same approach. I mean, think about the appeasement of how they handled China now. They have gone back. They apologize. They go through. They go They go and visit China on the anniversary of Tiananmen Square. Come on. Right. I think what you're finding in Congress, though, I'm going to give credit on the Democrat side, too. This select committee on China is the future of what America should do on how to deal with China. Was Nancy Pelosi wrong to go to Taiwan? Well, look. She has a right to go to Taiwan, but this is very interesting. You compare what she did and how I met with Taiwan's president. Um, she, she wasn't in a bipartisan group. There wasn't a mission behind it. Was there a purpose or was it to check off a list that she went to Taiwan, right? She allowed China to have military training now to how they would invade Taiwan. Uh, she held back the place. When the president of Taiwan came to America, you know where I met her? At the Reagan Library. Right. No greater symbolism of, of America defeating communism than the Reagan Library. I had a bipartisan group, Republicans and Democrats equal. We had a purpose in charge. These were those who were sitting on the Select Committee of China. When we did our press conference outside, I had 172 different cameras. We had the Berlin Wall behind it. Andrea Mitchell took the first question. She said, you know, I was at the Berlin Wall when Reagan gave that speech and it brought me to tears. She says, I'm moved today by seeing both parties here doing exactly what you should be doing. All right, if you want to hear the full interview, I want you to go to the podcast. I mean, unedited, even parts that you probably have not heard yet, com. get the uh, podcast. Always great to hear it uh, on a daily basis, too. I hope to see you this weekend at my Sonny's over in Harker Heights, Texas, in the morning. Then I'm going over to the Bush Center uh, right on the campus of SMU and have a chance to do an interview and have a chance to meet all of you, sign my books, and then over one of the nicest small towns in America, Fairhope, Alabama. So go to BrianKilme.com for more information on my book, Teddy and Booker T, a two American icons, blaze the path to racial equality. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, we are back, and look who's in studio. Kirk Cameron's with us. Uh, outstanding actor, writer, producer, best-selling author, and he's also on a mission to straighten out our next generation of Americans. Oh. And he's, he's very close to completing that mission, <laughs> uh, but always trying to straighten out and find out what's going on in our schools, which is a common refrain with nine out of every ten people we meet, right? Parents, whether you're kids, people, future parents, grandparents, what's going on in schools, and you're tackling it. Yeah, and, and everybody knows that uh, whoever controls the, 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 the curriculums in the schools is the ones who really own the future because the kids are the ones who are going to be running the place in just a little while. So we've all seen those videos of those irate moms and the dads who are like they're stripping a gear talking to the school board members about the pornography in the books and the content that's wildly inappropriate for children in public school libraries. And, and, and they're being marketed to like, you know, uh, eight-year-olds, seven-year-olds, uh, grooming them into to exploring drag and changing their gender. And so after I've been touring these libraries, reading my books, getting pushbacks from drag queens and American Library yeah. Association. But can I just say, I just think uh, you kind of like it. 
because you know you're doing the right thing. Well, you know, and when these people show up and that creates controversy, it becomes a news story and it helps helps your message. Yeah, it, it helps to spread the message and it also encourages other people to get off the couch and stop sitting there uh, with their head in their hands, crying in their in their Chick-fil-A soup, thinking that there's nothing they can do and say, well, here's a guy doing something. Maybe I could do something. And uh, and they come out and join us, which is which is awesome. That's what we need. Um, so you so, you have three titles in front of you that are especially yeah. uh, outrageous. So so here's what happened. I decided let's go after the head of the snake. Who's creating these books that are ending up in libraries and in schools? And we found out the wolf in sheep clothing is Scholastic Books. You remember Scholastic sure. growing up? It's Clifford the Big Red Dog, uh, uh, James and the Giant Peach, Stuart Little Curious in George. the car. Curi- now they've gone so woke that they have books marketed to preteens that are teaching them how to have transgender sexual experiences with manuals on how to inject yourself with hormones to grow a beard, to cut off your breasts. And it's got it in graphic detail with such nudity that Facebook censored the photos when we tried to put them up there to show people what's in these books. Well, now, you have the titles in front of you. Where yeah, are they? yeah. Well, one's called Welcome to St. Hell, My Trans Teen Misadventure. And that's the personal memoir of the author who did all these things and uh, do- documents her sexual experiences. And then uh, you've got this other one called Rick by Alex Gino. And the book itself is trans because it used to be called Melissa, right? And then they changed the name of the book to Rick. From the, from the name of the book, Melissa, and then stars in their eyes and others. One of the things I always was used, used to look forward to when you come home from school, you get a, a little uh, guide. And you go home, and I can pick three books out. Yeah. And you circle those books. Then yeah. you fill out the form on the back. So, so Now fun. you do it online, right? But it was, it was fun. Oh, I love this one. Yeah. Can't wait for the come of the mail. Yeah. I remember Curious George had a magnet. And I go, on yeah. the back of the Curious George book was a magnet. It was like magic almost. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and those are the same guides. Those are the same... Um, manuals that they're sending home with their kids now where you get it online? Yeah, well, well, you can order these books as part of the book fairs. Uh, Scholastic has over 100,000 book fairs in schools all across the country. That, that's hundreds of book fairs a day uh, in schools. And then these books are also being stocked on the shelves of public libraries and in um, public schools. So what we're doing is this. We're saying, look, parents, school board members, you've got to know what's inside of these books for your children Uh, Some of them don't even know. And we have a PDF that parents can go to the to a website, download the PDF and see that I'm not exaggerating. I I didn't I wouldn't believe this if I didn't see with my own eyes and then stop what Scholastic is doing to your kids in schools and library and replace these book fairs with wholesome book fairs. And uh, I've partnered with a nonprofit called SkyTree Book Fairs, and they have already got over. 200 book fairs scheduled for the spring. The first one's tomorrow, Saturday, in Spotsylvania, Virginia. And we have over 1,000 public schools and private schools that are already stopping their scholastic contracts and on their way toward replacing them. That's around Fredericksburg, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great area. I mean, by the way, where George Washington was actually born, his first house, they have outlay founded, they outlined it. You should check that out. You would love it. You could see what he saw up until he was a teen. Uh, the name of your book is Pride Comes Before the Fall. You'll be, will you be signing that book there? Yeah, I'll actually be signing uh, that book and a new one called The Fox, The Fair, and The Invention Scare about loving your enemies. Sky, uh, this is for what age bracket? Th- these are for, uh, I'm, I'm going to say like 6 to 10, uh, maybe maybe four, 4 to 9. 4 to 9 is probably the age group we're, 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 we're focusing on. So you really made me feel bad. 
because I'm going to book tour too. And I kind of just show up and whatever people do, they do. And I like to talk to them first, but sometimes it's just a signing. And then I get this sheet. So uh, here is Kirk Cameron shows up. People just want to be meet the star and the author, but you're not stopping there. You're going to have music. You're going to have hot chocolate. You're going to have coffee. You're going to have a food truck. <laughs> you're making me look absolutely terrible. Listen, for the kids, you've got to have hot chocolate piled <laughs> high with whipped cream where the kids, the kids right. don't like it. So you are, you're making sure this is an experience. And I feel like I, you have just raised the bar to a point that I cannot reach. Hey, you too can bring hot chocolate to your book fair. <laughs> and here's the cool thing is the superintendent of uh, Fredericksburg uh, is actually paying for this book fair. For his community out of his own pocket, not using the tax dollars to do it because he is so insistent that we get this garbage of Scholastic out of his his community and and provide an alternative. And if people want to check out uh, this PDF I'm talking about, if you want to support Skytree, go to StopScholastic.com. So when I go out, I I spoke uh, on Wednesday night in New Jersey at the Little Point Bookshop. And so I'm taking questions. You know what 20% of the questions were about? Mm. How do I know what I'm believing, what I'm reading is true? It's true. Right? People say, well, what, how do I know this is true? How do I know this is true? I look online. and I'm like, That makes sense. That's outrageous. Then something totally opposite. Yeah. So, I mean, you got to go to school on this and find out, you know, who's been consistent. you got to find a columnist that you, uh, that you learn things from, a newspaper that you can count on. But if you're going to pick up the Washington Post, pick up the Washington Times. If you're going to pick up the New York Post, pick up the Daily News. Have an idea of what's yeah. going on, what pure reporting is. So then I heard this in Oakland. And they tried to vote on a simple thing, condemn Hamas for the attacks. Kind of easy, easy, Kirk, right? Yeah. Listen to what they were saying is why they should vote against it. By the way, it went down 6-2 to two in Oakland. Listen. There's not been beheadings of babies and rapings. Israel murdered their own people on October 7th. They keep talking about Hamas, Hamas, Hamas. Our government does not fund Hamas. Our government funds Israel. Our government funds genocide. Our government funds killing of babies. To hear them, to hear them complain about Hamas violence is like listening to a wife beater complain when his wife finally stands up and fights back. Calling Hamas a terrorist organization is ridiculous, racist, and plays into genocidal propaganda that is flooding our media and that we should be doing everything possible to combat. I support the right of Palestinians to resist occupation, including through Hamas, the armed wing of the unified Palestinian resistance. Resistance to colonialism is not terrorism. So those were unscripted moments, people speaking from the heart and couldn't be more confused or misled. Can you believe this? Yeah. You could see the video. And Hamas wants you to see what they did to innocent people, to pregnant women. Uh, the rape, you could see all this out there. And Hamas would love for you to check it out. And that's not good enough for this gen and many people in this next generation. That's got to worry you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then the more that I learn about Hamas and its origins and all, all of these types of things, and you, you go back and you, you look at the history and you look at what they're really all about. I mean, how does Hamas, uh, not that I really want to get into this, but, but, but how does Hamas treat women? How does Trump, Hamas treat homosexuals? How does Hamas treat children? I mean, is this the group you really want to be supporting? In America, we're worried if people aren't, don't get the same salary, if you are gay or a male or, or a, a female yeah. or a woman. Now all of a sudden they go, okay, oh, you're gay, you have uh, nose rings and purple hair, and you're not sure what sexuality? Just pick the building they want to throw you off of. That's what happens. For women, you don't have a job. You have to You get your spouse picked for you. You, your mission in life is to serve man, uh, pretty much something that is against what every woman stands for in America. I don't even care if 
what your values are? Does anyone want to embrace this? Yes, we have people storming this building this week again to try to be pro-Hamas with swastikas. And these are young people. How, how disconcerting is that? And is that part of the reason you're doing what you're doing? And one of the things I've learned is that even the very ability as a young person to speak your mind on political issues like they are at these schools – that's not allowed under a system that wants total control over you. So you would be supporting a system that would actually stop you from the yeah. freedom to say the things you're saying right now. Does it surprise you with the Jewish community so strong and successful in Hollywood mm. that you're very much a part of or was that no one's speaking out strongly, taking a lead on this? Yeah, I, I think there's so much fear in so many places, it, there, there's a million fear things people don't want to be – fear of being canceled, fear of being harmed, um, fear of losing your job, being ostracized, uh, right? I mean nobody wants to stick their neck out on very many issues at all, uh, whether it's morality or your religion or your politics or, or, or anything, um, except I, I think – you know, when, when 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 D.C. and the media is so infiltrated by the left, they are proud of what they're what they're doing. And even if it's pornography and pornographic for children. Right. Uh, you know, they, they want to say that you're a book banner or a book burner if you don't want inappropriate pornographic images distributed to minors in your public school. I want you to hear what uh, Susan Sarandon said about all this. There are a lot of people that are afraid, afraid of being Jewish at this time and are getting a taste of what it feels like to be a Muslim in this country, so often uh, subjected to violence. It's important to listen. It's important to have facts. Try to take a breath before you answer. And if it's possible, have a conversation. We need a ceasefire now. So that got her when the UTA or UTA agents called her up and said, you just insulted me. We're Jewish. And I cannot believe you just said what you just said. She apologized and then doubled down. So they mm-hmm. fired her. So you talk about people afraid. I mean, obviously, she's advanced age. No, I don't know, know how many people are knocking on her door. Obviously, she's got a lot of talent, but she's lost two of her agents because of this. So we're seeing a fracturing everywhere. So what what concerns me more than speaking up about things that are right and true uh, for fear of people you know, giving you backlash is where our, where our country is going to go if people don't stand up. It gets much, much worse than this. Um, it doesn't just lead to pushback, right? It leads to socialist, communist, dictatorship. I mean it's, it's, it's not uh, out of the question to think that one day we can't have this conversation on the radio anymore because government-controlled media shuts it all down. So we got to stand up for the stuff now. Your decision to come out and say things that are a counter-narrative to a lot of people in the industry, which you shine in, how tough was that? Well, I, I think it's when I stopped depending on Hollywood to um, pay my bills – and I started saying I want to do what I believe is right in my heart and use the opportunities and the resources and relationships that I have to create a, a, a parallel 
road to, to, to run on. And that's why I started making my own movies and documentaries and writing books for kids and all of that because there's millions and millions of people who support you, Brian, who support the stuff that I'm about. The, the kinds of values that we're talking about are really not that far under the surface of millions and millions of Americans. And I think many of them would uh, get behind us if they just knew what to do. And I think that, that's the importance of what we're trying to do is, is give people tracks to run on. Yeah, you give them, you're setting up the template. And by the way, you could see Kirk. Uh, the writer, director, the producer, the best-selling author, uh, talking about the pride comes before his fall, and the new book is? The Fox, the Fair, and the Invention Scare, about loving your enemies. They're right December 2nd, this Saturday, uh, in Fredericksburg, Virginia, at the first public school book fair at River Bend High School. Again, hot chocolate food trucks, coffee for the adults. <sighs> We don't want to stunt your growth. Coffee at a young age, I believe, <laughs> stunt your growth. We're going to debate that in the break. When we come back a little bit more with Kirk Cameron, don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, we are back, everybody, with Kirk Cameron, actor, director, producer, best-selling author. His new books, uh, new book is The Fox, the, Fa- uh, the Fair, and The Invention Scare. You know about his other book, Pride Comes Before the Fall. More importantly, he's going to be in Virginia tomorrow, Fredericksburg, a great town, December second uh, for our first for the first public school book fair at River. Bend High School. It's going to be a lot of fun. Are you going to read from the book? Talk yeah. to the people? Yeah, we're going to be there talking to the people. Uh, we, 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 we are going to read a couple of books, and we're going to have a, a chance for people to sing. They probably, you know, when I go to these public libraries, people want to sing God Bless America. They want to, they want to um, recite the national anthem. They want to pray together and ask for God to, to bring his blessing and his protection to their kids and their grandkids. It's a, it's a beautiful time. I, I love it. All right, uh, and it's right up your alley, and you are creating and making a difference. Just some things in the news that I always like bouncing off you. I don't know if you saw last weekend, Deadspin, which was, we really have not heard much of in a long time, kind of a quirky, uh, uh, attitude-driven sports website, decides to seize a five-year-old with his face painted, uh, half black, half white, uh, half red, because he's a Chiefs fan, wearing a headdress because the name of the team is The Chiefs. And this guy comes out and says, basically, who raised this kid wearing blackface, condemns him in this column. Next thing you know, this kid's getting blitzed with condemnations. He only cited the blackface, not the front of the face, which showed the red side. Yeah. And the headdress, turns out he is American Indian by heritage. (laughs) So not only is it the Chiefs, there's no problem. Taking a shot at a five-year-old, here is this Kansas City Chiefs fan on with Jesse this week. Cut 31. It's okay because a lot of kids at school are getting excited, but it's starting to get me a little nervous because if they go a little bit overboard, it's a little scary. And then the dad was sitting right with him, obviously. Uh, he's ticked off beyond beyond belief. Cut 32. It's It's been a lot. It's been a pretty crazy couple of days. I was mad, upset, upset for him, mad that he's upset. He's... um. He's pretty devastated. I mean, he's seen the videos and everything posted. He's excited. He's all over. It was his dream to get on the Jumbotron. And I've had family and friends call and, oh, we saw you on on, uh, Sunday Night Football. So he's excited. But then everything else came up and 
it's uh, been a little bit of a spiral. I mean, there are times when things happen, they're controversial. This is targeting a kid. Does it yeah. astound you, Kirk Cameron? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it does because of the absurdity of, of what they're doing, but it doesn't shock me or surprise me to see the sensational press and the news trying to create some kind of a story so that somebody can get famous, you know, for, for, for pulling this kind of a stunt. But what I want to see us do, Brian, is I want to see good people who are principled people who have the right kind of values drive the narrative. Rather than us talking about their stories and their stupid narratives, I want to see good people with good values, principled people driving the narratives and see the left on their heels. That's what I really want to see. And so I, 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 I'm sick and tired of hanging out with whiners and complainers about what others are doing. I want to hang out with the winners and the creators of culture and uh, put the enemy on their heels. Let's get on the offense. All right. The name of the book, The Fox, The Fair, and The Invention Scare – uh, catch Kirk Cameron in Fredericksburg, Virginia, December 2nd at the first public school book fair at River Bend High School. Kirk, great seeing you again. You too. Always on the move. Brian Kilmichel. Keep it here. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.